Hello and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, August 17th, 2014. Today the message is, The Truth Is, I Am, by Pastor Albert Berg, and it is based on the scripture Psalm 139, 1-18. Thank you uh, so much for the invitation to be with you again this morning. Uh, Lord and I just always really enjoy coming here. Uh, some of you asked where Lorna is. Um, actually, what's happened is I've got a meeting that I have to go to after the service, and that's kind of Nanaimo and Hastings, so to drive all the way back to South Surrey and back that way, we just decided she'd go to another church this morning, hear another pastor, which is probably really good for her anyway. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for the opportunity to be with you here today. I think one of... Um, one of America's favorite TV shows in the last couple of years has been The Voice. It's one of Lorna's favorite shows. How many of you have watched it? Yeah, a number of you have. It's, it's different from all of the other singing shows, right? Like American Idol, America's Got Talent, that kind of thing. In those shows, what happens is the person comes on stage, does their thing, and the judges make a decision not simply on their talent or the ability to sing, but on their demeanor, on their looks, on their dress. All of those things are factors into whether or not they allow this individual to go to the next round. But you see, with the voice, it's different. The judges can't see the person. It's a blind audition round. The judges are seated behind big red chairs, facing or their backs facing the singer. And if they like what they're hearing, based on the voice alone, they push the red button, their chair swings around, and a big light goes on, I want you. In other words, the judges make their choice based solely on the sound of the voice coming from behind them. Sometimes all four judges hit the button, their chairs turn around, and then the singer then has to make a choice as to whose team they want to be on. If you've watched the show, sometimes you'll know that it gets pretty intense waiting, waiting to see whether a judge or the judges are going to push the button. And that's craziest when no one pushes the button, when no chair turns around, when nobody chooses that person. No lights go on because the message is pretty clear Nobody wants you. You're going home, back to singing at your friend's wedding, or in the background in Kentucky, somewhere like that. But I think, you know, what makes the show so attractive and so popular is that every one of us knows what it's like to be a contestant going through a blind audition. We know what it's like to wait to wait for someone to push the button and turn around and say, I want you. I mean, we all have judges in our minds, right? And there's a voice that keeps saying to us, somehow you've got to get them to turn around. Somehow you've got to get them to notice you. You have to do something to prove that you are good. I mean, our insecurity drives us to find a way to somehow make ourselves lovable, acceptable, okay, look good, it drives us to do something so somebody will push a button in our lives and recognize our value and worth. I don't know who that judge would be for you. As a younger person here, maybe it's your parents. I mean, you've been singing your heart out, hoping that your mom and dad would affirm you and recognize 
who you are. But it just seems like it's never enough. Maybe it's a person at work, school. You wish so much you could get them to push the button, and by pushing the button would say to you, you're doing a great job. You're in. Maybe it's someone you deeply respect. Maybe it's someone that you dated in the past, you know, and, and they dumped you, and today you wish, you wish they could see you because you're making a six-figure six salary. You're driving a BMW. You've got a gorgeous wife. You've got five little kids. I'll maybe skip that one. But, but you're thinking, you know, finally, finally, I'm good enough. As a preacher, the people who occupy the chair in my life are the people I preach to every Sunday. Right now, they're between the age of 15 and 35. You see, I'm this old guy. I mean, do I actually have something to say to the next generation? And can I say it in a way that they'll actually connect with what I'm saying? And listen, if you think that doesn't generate some insecurity, I would suggest that you trade places with Pastor Isaac for a month. Okay, try it. Is that a deal? We all have our judges. Inside of us, we're feeling insecure. Maybe scared that the person that we would want to have pushed the button doesn't do it. We wish there was someone who would say, I want you. You are enough. What interests me is the response of the singers when nobody pushes the button, when the judges don't push the button, don't turn around. I mean, some of them, it's like it doesn't phase them a bit. They walk off the stage with the attitude, ah, yeah, maybe you didn't push the button this time, but I'll be back. Just wait until next time. You'll be hearing from me again. Yeah, this may be a bump in the road, but it's not a big bump. So what? And, and they kind of look at this as an opportunity, as a challenge to do better, be better, discover and move forward in pursuing their dream. However, others, as they walk off the stage, you can see it in their face. They're just totally, totally devastated. Rejection is cut deep. You see it in their faces. I knew it. I knew I wasn't good enough. I will never be good enough. I don't have what it takes. My life is over kind of thing. And you know, as I watched that, I realized that we all have a choice as to how we're going to respond. We have a choice as to how we're going to talk to ourselves. God has given us that choice. Brent Brown has written a book called Daring Greatly. And in the book, she talks about vulnerability, the openness to the willingness to be open and transparent, and how that is really the key to love and belonging and joy and courage and empathy and creativity and to a deeper, more meaningful spiritual life. But then she goes on to say, and listen, she says, most of us are driven by a scarcity mentality when it comes to ourselves. The underlying thing that most of us think the primary thing that most of us think throughout our days, not just when we're teenagers, but throughout our days is and sounds like, I am not enough. I am never enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not patient enough. I'm not consistent enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not organized enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I am not loved enough. I am not 
And we could go on talking about a lot of those things, right? I mean, some of you right now, you're thinking about something that you hope no one, no one ever discovers about you because in that area, you feel so deeply that you're not enough. And if they discover it, they'll never push the button. You and I may not want to admit it, but it's true, isn't it? We're often stuck on the I am not, you fill in the blank, track. Here's something that's very interesting. I'm told that you and I have 60,000 thoughts a day. 60,000 thoughts go through our minds every day. Now, I don't know how they measured that. I don't know how they figured it out, but that's what we're told, okay? Guess how many of those 60,000 thoughts are negative? Anyone want to guess? How many of those 60,000 thoughts do you think are negative? 80%? Right on. Where did you hear that? (laughs) 48,000 of the thoughts that we have every day are negative. Isn't that interesting? I wonder, wonder how many of those thoughts you have already had today. Are there any left over? You got up, you looked in your closet this morning, you looked at the clothes, and you thought to yourself, no matter what I wear, I don't look good anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm too short, too tall, too skinny, too fat. I mean, you look at yourself and say, well, it doesn't really matter. Or, or you think about the conversation you had yesterday, and you're thinking, man, I sounded so dumb in that conversation. Why would anyone want to be around me anyway? Or, yeah, you're so, no wonder you didn't get invited to that party. Yeah, I wonder how many of those 48,000 negative thoughts that we have during each day we already have. I mean, again, I said, I don't know how they measure that, but when I think about my thoughts, I think they're probably right. But listen, you know why this is so stupid and so sad? Because none of the people in our lives that we have set up as judges have a button. And what's even sadder is the fact that we do not realize that the one who is sitting in the only chair that really matters has already hit the button and has already turned around. And he's the only one who has the power to consistently give us approval. And he's already offered it to do us and freely given it to us. And the problem is that we often don't sense that approval from God because we're bombarded with so many other messages, and let me use a strong word here, we're bombarded with so many other lies that we tend to believe that we don't hear from the voice of God and the truth of God's word. For example, we read from Psalm 139 this morning. The psalmist says there, God, I praise you because I am fearfully made. Okay, turn to the person beside you and tell them they are fearfully made. They're awesome, okay? Okay. He goes on to say, I praise you, God, because I am wonderfully made. Turn to the person the other side of you and tell them they're wonderfully made. For those of you who are younger, did you get a date yet? The psalmist says, verse 14, your works are wonderful. 
listen, that's not only true about the flowers in your garden, the mountains, the sunshine, the full moon, whatever the case may be, but you and I, as the crown jewels of his creation, you and I are part of his works, which means the truth about you is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the truth about you. That's what God says. Okay, question. Since that's the truth about you, why are you choosing to believe a lie that that's not true about you? Why do you keep talking to yourself and saying, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough? Why is it that so much of your life is about trying to get other people to push the button to tell you you're wonderful, you're enough? When God says, you already are. The psalmist says, verse 17, how precious are your thoughts, oh God, and you better believe that they're precious. I mean, this is God saying, screaming out, I want you, I want you, I made you, you're wonderfully made, you're awesome. I mean, that should reduce some of those 48,000 negative thoughts by about 5,000, shouldn't they? Get another example, Jeremiah. You, you've heard about Jeremiah, haven't you? Prophet of God, called by God to preach a very searing message, go out there, look those people in the eye, and tell them you've been chasing idols, stop it, turn back to me. As you can imagine, the people in Jeremiah's time didn't like that very much. They told him to get lost. He didn't, and so they stuck him in a hole. And from an earthly perspective, Jeremiah's, I mean, his ministry was one big failure. I mean, there were no emails going home saying, Hi, Mom and Dad, you won't believe what God did when I was preaching. This is incredible. No, there was none of that. There was nothing to write home about. And if you were on the search committee of the church, looking at his ministry record, you would have said, this guy is not good enough to be our pastor. But what's interesting, what God says about Jeremiah, chapter 1. I knew you before I formed you in your, others, in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. In other words, God was saying to Jeremiah, I've handpicked you for this task. And when did God do that? Think about that. It was before, right? Before Jeremiah showed any potential as a preacher. Before he demonstrated any significant levels of consistency. Before he did anything as a prophet. God chose Jeremiah even before he was born. Before he could do anything to merit God's acceptance, God hit the button, turned his chair around and said, Jeremiah, I want you. You're on my team. And no wonder with that kind of confidence and assurance that Jeremiah was able to handle the rejection, the humiliation, the criticism, the persecution. I mean, he knew that he was accepted, not because of anything he had done. He knew that he was accepted, even though God knew everything about him. He knew that he was accepted and nothing that he would ever do would undo that. God had turned his chair around even before he was born before he preached his first sermon. Listen, you don't have to sing a single note to get God to notice you. Even before you had the opportunity to show off or screw up, God says, you're mine. I've chosen you. You belong to me. Let me put it this way. God issued an announcement from his throne in heaven and he wants you to know 
the audition has been canceled. The audition was canceled. And here's the best news. Here's why this is some of the best news that you will ever hear. You're here this morning. You've chosen to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're a child of God, which means he chose you. He chose you in spite of knowing everything about you, in spite of all that darkness inside you, in spite of all the times that you've messed up. He's seen you at your worst, which means if God chose you knowing everything about you, everything you've ever done, what you really like inside, it means you and I, we don't have to walk through life trying to get him to push the button. He already has. Folks, what if we got this? I mean, what if we really got this? I mean, can you see how freeing this is? No longer having this sense of, well, I have to in order to get God to notice me, answer my prayers, Give me that job. Get me to school. No, I can just live in the joy and freedom of knowing I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm his. No pressure, just gratitude. I mean, no wonder Jeremiah was able to do what he did. Now you're thinking, well, Albert, I'm no Jeremiah. I don't have that kind of calling. I'm not an evangelist, a prophet, a preacher. That's right. You do not have that calling. But listen, this is very important. You may even want to take it down. The nature of your calling does not indicate the level of God's approval of you. The nature of your calling does not indicate the level of God's approval of you. Your calling may be to be that dad, that mom, that husband, that wife, that friend, that neighbor, that student, that teacher. And the fact that you may think you don't have the talents and gifts that another person does. None of that has an impact on the intensity of God's love and approval for you. You're sitting here and thinking, man, if I could do something significant for God, God would be much, much happier with me. I don't think you find that scripture. Listen, th th this should knock off another 5,000 negative thoughts a day, shouldn't it? Another example. Matthew, one of the guys who wrote about Jesus. I mean, I think most of us would agree that, that Jesus did some very impressive things, right? And he said some very impressive things. In fact, his best friend, John, wrote about him. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I don't know, maybe if John was writing that today with the kind of technology we have, he might rephrase that. But what he was saying is that what Jesus did was just incredible, very impressive. And you see, Matthew, as he's writing about Jesus, would want us to know, would like us to understand that Jesus received his father's approval even before he did anything impressive, even before he got into what he was called to do, before Jesus did a bunch of miracles, before Jesus impressed people with a bunch of wisdom, before Jesus preached that favorite, famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. It was before, and Matthew describes it in Matthew chapter 3 this way. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, 
This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Question, folks. If the Father's approval and acceptance of Jesus was based on something that came before his incredible accomplishments, what makes you think? What makes you think you could do anything to knock God's socks off or obtain his acceptance through some activity? What makes you think you have to turn your life around before you can completely commit your life to God? What makes you think that you need to impress God with your obedience before he will impart his grace to you? What makes you think you have to do things to get God to like you, much less love you? What makes you think you need to be the perfect parent, the perfect spouse, before God will perfectly love you? Listen, before Jesus did anything oppressive, said anything oppressive, the Father said to his Son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. No, I am well pleased with you. You know, I know some people who have spent their entire life trying to achieve something that Jesus already achieved for them, God's approval. My mom was one of those people. She died at the age of 101. Two weeks before she died, she actually beat my sister in the game of Scrabble. She probably cheated, but... At 101, we said, that's okay. I mean, what she would do is she didn't like a letter, and so she would you know, throw it back, pick up another one. Anyway, she'd been a follower of Jesus Christ basically all her life. At 91 years of age, she finally got it. At 91, it finally sunk deep into the core of her being. I am his beloved. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm Christ's friend. I belong to God. I've been forgiven all my sin. I'm complete in Christ. I am his workmanship. I am the clay he's molding, and he's not going to stop until I am like Jesus. By the way, that's just a short list of things God says that are true about you as his child. You know, sometimes I wonder how my mom's life would have been different if she would have replaced maybe even one-third of those 48,000 negative thoughts with, I am, I am, I am. But then I wonder about myself. I wonder how my life would be different. If at least one-third of those 48,000 negative thoughts were replaced with, I am. Because I find me talking to myself all the time. You know, Albert, you're, you're just so tough. I mean, you're really messed up there. You don't ever dare risk that again. Or you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're so inadequate. You're so inferior. You will never be enough. I mean, the sermon you preached last week, it stank. I wonder. I wonder how my life would be different when I'm feeling insecure, inadequate, fearful, when I'm played by a lack of self-confidence, when I'm feeling ashamed and wish I could do yesterday over again, I wonder how my life would be different if I got it. I am. I am. See, here's our problem. We find it a lot easier to listen to what God says about himself than what he says about us. 
we find it a lot easier to listen to what God says about himself than what he says about us. For example, John 8, 12, Jesus said, bold statement, I am the light of the world. And we say, amen, right on, you are the light of the world. Then the same person who said, I am the light of the world, turns around and he says, you are the light of the world. And you and I are thinking, no way. No way, Jesus, you got me confused with someone else. I mean, all the darkness inside of me. I mean, I've got so many lustful thoughts and I'm jealous all the time. And Maybe Pastor Ryan, not me. Listen, folks, Jesus does not lie. None of us would ever. I don't know anyone who would claim Jesus lied. Even people who aren't followers of Jesus Christ, they never say Jesus lied. He said, you are the light of the world. Not just fearfully, wonderfully made, but you're the light of the world. And folks, what would happen? What would happen if we refused the lies that we tend to believe about ourselves and walked according to God's truth? Yeah, Maybe I don't like myself very much in this moment, but I'm going with what God says, and God says, I am loved, John 15. Yeah, maybe I don't seem to be gaining any ground in winning the battle, but, but I'm going with what God says about, I am more than a conqueror, Romans 8. Maybe I don't have a lot of confidence right now, but, but I'm going with what God says, Deuteronomy 31, I'm strong and courageous. I don't know how long I will struggle with this sin, but I'm going with what God says. He says, I am forgiven. And how do I know? Because God says, I am. I am. Some of us, we haven't been listening very well, have we? I don't know if you've read any of Brendan Manning's stuff. If you get a chance to do it, I think it's worth a read. In his book, Abba's Child, The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging, he talks about what's at stake. What's at stake when we allow other voices, when we listen to other voices than the voice of God? What happens when we listen to lies, other voices than the voice of God? He says what happens is great deeds remain undone and the possibility of growth into greatness of soul is aborted. Great deeds remain undone, and the possibility of growth into greatness of soul is aborted. Let's think about that for a few minutes. When you and I do not listen to the voice of God, great deeds remain undone. And so question, at this point in your life, what great deeds are in danger of remaining undone because of the lies that were planted in your past and they continue to shape your attitudes and actions? Maybe you've always had this dream about what God wants you to do. Maybe you're not even sure that it's from God. But every time you think about it, there's something that kind of stirs within you. But then there's that other voice that keeps whispering, who do you think you are anyway? And so your dream is in danger of dying and being buried in the grave of your fear. 
or how many contributions that God created for you will never be done, will stay wrapped in good intentions because they have been neutralized by spiritual hesitation. Or what desperate needs around you are crying out to be met that God is not going to meet because you chose to believe some lie about yourself rather than the truth of who you are in Christ. Or how many people who are closest to you are suffering because what you choose to believe about yourself. The saddest part is that we'll never know as a result of choosing not to accept what God says is true about us. I'm reminded of what Dr. Luke says about Mary, Mother Jesus. Dr. Luke tells us that one day, she had no idea this was coming, but one day an angel stepped into her life and said, Greetings, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. And as you can imagine, Mary was stunned. I mean, you would be too, right? If someone knocked on the door and told you you just won Lotto 649 and you know you didn't even buy a ticket, you know, you'd be stunned, right? Matthew writes, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. And we're also told that she's very fearful. Again, you and I would understand that. I mean, she's told this pregnancy is not the result of intimacy between a man and a woman. She's told this pregnancy is going to be incredibly special. It's going to introduce an event into history which will change history forever. And as you can imagine, there's probably all kinds of doubts going through her mind. I mean, think of the stuff that she would have to face over the next nine months. I mean, how would her parents respond, her friends? Would they believe her? Would they point fingers? Would they shun her? I mean, I think if I, would, if I was Mary, I would have thought, what was that anyway? You know, what, what did I just see and hear? Did someone spike my drink at the party last night? I mean, she's probably thinking, I'm not sure I understood. I'm going to have a baby? I don't want to be a single mom. And she said something about me being highly favored. Don't think so. And so there's all this stuff that's racing through her mind. And the angel goes on to explain. And this guy just makes things worse for Mary. And so she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? That reminds me of a story I just read two weeks ago of this six-year-old girl that over the summer months she had been visiting her friend's wife. And her mom's friend was visibly pregnant. And so she was curious, and she asked the question that every little girl asks. My four-year-old granddaughter asked my daughter a question about two months ago. She saw her mom getting bigger and bigger. Anyway, this little girl asked, um, how did the baby get in there? And the mother kind of said, um, uh, you know, I, I think you better go home and ask your mom that question. And the six-year-old responded and said, I've done that. Nobody at our house knows either, knows it either. <laughs> Mary had her own set of questions. Anyway, after explaining how the process unfolds and assuring her that the Holy Spirit was able to accomplish what seemed impossible to her, I love Mary's response because she got it. She really did. Because her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You see, she got it right, because did you notice the sequence? You see, the reason Mary was able to receive the angel's instructions and respond positively was because she understood her identity. Her first words were, I am. 
this is who I am. I am the Lord's servant. Yeah, there's going to be doubts. There's going to be insecurities. There's going to be worry, but, but I am. I am. This is. I am. And so whatever comes my way, criticisms and doubts and suspicions, judgmental stares, ridicule, gossip, the lies being told about me, the anxiety I might have to, what I might feel, let them come. But I know who I am. I am. I'm yours. So God, let's do it. And a few verses later, Mary says this about her newly discovered identity. For he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant, for from now on generations will call me blessed. I don't know what that says to you, but here's what I hear her saying. From now on, I know I'm favored. I have this assurance. I have been chosen for this incredible assignment. He's with me to accomplish his special purpose in and through my life. I am favored. I am his servant. I'm blessed. So God, let's do it. I'm ready. And when she says, may it be to me as you have said, all she's doing is demonstrating how an understanding of God's favor makes a child of God unstoppable in the face of impossible situations. I'm favored. I'm blessed. I'm his servant. And so whatever comes my way, I'm not going to depend on my circumstances for my identity. But my identity is in who I am. Yeah. That's Mary's testimony. I wish I could stand up here this morning and say, mine is just like that. It's exactly the same story. But you know, folks, it's not. It's not. Because, you see, I'm really good at filling up my 48,000 bucket of negative thoughts every day. But I'm learning. I'm learning. Because I don't want to wait until I'm 91. You know, I don't want any more deeds undone. I don't want desperate needs to be unmet. I don't want to hurt the people who are closest to me because I'm believing some lie about myself. I don't want to sabotage myself. I don't want to forfeit the good things God wants me to have. I want to hear God's word much more like promises not duties I have to fulfill to get him to turn his chair around and notice me. And that's true for you as well, isn't it? Somebody please say amen or clap or do something. So folks, will you let God baptize you this morning? Baptized in the truth that the truth of God's word is not only true, but it's true for you. His word is not only true, but it's true for you. If you do, who knows? Who knows what great deeds will get done? What projects will get done? What needs will be met? A friend of ours works with Power for Change. She had the opportunity this past winter to lead a Chinese girl to Christ. This young girl went back home, did something illegal, got 50 of her friends together, and said, guess what? I'm a child of God. I'm his beloved. 29 of those 50 friends are now part of God's family. 
Mary says, I am. She had a baby. More than likely, you're not going to have a baby, at least one conceived by the Holy Spirit. But you have your own calling, right? Your grandpa, your grandma, your dad, your mom, your sister, your brother, your friend, your salesperson, your teacher, you have your own calling. And I encourage you to learn to live in the I am of what God says about you. Because not only will you be glad you did, but all the people around you will be glad as well. Thank you very much.